As the clock turns around and the sun goes up and down, thanks for taking time and attention for Bandwidth Coast to Coast. This episode, like all things, is many different dimensions at once. In April of 2016, I lived in Chicago and was working on a short-lived podcast on the side. I've had a long interest in water as a resource, how we're getting it, the increasing stress and instability of it, I can go on and on. With that podcast, I wanted to highlight water infrastructure and the looming issues with it going unnoticed. Taking a road trip to visit some friends in Quebec, I planned to fit whatever water I could in my Mini Cooper and drop it off in Flint along the way. Taking pause while driving and thinking a bit more about the moment in Flint, when I stopped to load up my car, pulled out Google Maps. I saw Catholic Charities, and having worked with that organization in other locations before, I thought to take a chance and call for an interview. By chance, happenstance, serendipity, grace, or just the beauty that happens when you seize an opportunity, Mary Stevenson picked up on the other line and orchestrated all of what you're about to hear. This is my interview, conversation, and 80-minute peek into the daily work of Catholic Charities of Genesee County during the peak of the water crisis. As the page turns on a different numeral after a digit of intense events, I want to present a moment that, to me, feels like another life ago, but the lessons we were supposed to have learned still loom near. The Flint crisis was a canary in the coal mine for the lack of leadership and political will all too common these past 300 days. As you'll hear Vicki Schultz, the CEO of Catholic Charities, detail how the crisis came to be, how it was handled, and what they were facing in Flint. How this story faded out of the collective news and consciousness should be familiar to you. The air right now is sucked out of the room for how many more people like Deborah who so giddily made dinner for Mary in the abandoned house she was squatting in, which since has burned down. As Congress deliberates how much money is being given now, how much is to come, while others hold political stances, sling words, more and more people are ending up in situations like Deborah. From being upper middle class, well-educated, whose life unexpectedly spirals and gets out of control, ending up living on the streets and finding immense gratitude in a bowl of spaghetti with some crackers in a decrepit abandoned house. I had the whole rest of the day to myself in a car after this interview. I thought I'd have to use that time to decompress from all that I would learn there. Much to my delight, I walked out absolutely energized. Walking into the building, I saw flyers taped to walls and lockers, giving stats to the situation in Flint, where, at the time, 40% of the residents lived below the poverty line. Every interaction I had from there, I could feel the positivity oozing from every nook and cranny. Perhaps despite the very suffering in the town, the next 80-minute snapshot of time is incredibly uplifting and heartwarming. The first part of this interview, I'm talking with Chrissy Cooper, Catholic Charities representative for the water crisis, before she leaves to go to a council meeting for the daily tactical brief on the water situation. She gives us a look at how widespread the problem was at the time, and how much uncertainty they were living in. Vicky then details how she found out about the lead in the water, as she was one of the first people called into the mayor's office before it was announced to the residents and the rest of the world. She says how she always expected something was awry in the water since they switched to their own water supply and plant, and why she had that suspicion. She also said something that since saying it across the table from me, I haven't forgotten. She explained how she always wanted to provide those who needed it the basic necessities, 
but she never expected that she forgot one. Water. We'll then end with Mary and Vicky sharing stories about people at Catholic Charities who've become their friends after they were there when they had nothing. I feel honored to present these warm-hearted individuals and their stories to you. Thank you for listening. Real quick before the episode starts, if you'd like to find us on your social media platform of choice, sign up for a mailing list to be the first to know about episode drops, know about upcoming guests or opportunities to ask questions and provide suggestions, please visit us at bandwithpodcast.com. And of course, if you like what you hear, please follow, comment, or subscribe to the pod, however it is that this is getting to your ears. Let me just test it. Perfect. So you can just say your name and, and who you are real quick yep. so I have that. So my name's Chrissy Cooper, um, and I am the, a development specialist, but I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right now, I guess, no, water calls person. Water everything. <laughs> water. The water guru. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm basically Catholic Charities representative in all of the water recovery efforts that are going on here in Flint. Yeah. So what do you, what does that entail right now? Right now, um, I am serving on our water, well, not just water, resource recovery work group um, that the community has put together. So it's a bunch of different agencies and churches and community members that have come together to kind of figure out what the next step is beyond water. Mm-hmm. Yes, we still have to have an avenue for getting water out to people, but there are a lot of other things they need as well. So nutrition, lead mitigating food items, um, Dairy products are big, um, and then also connecting them to the mental health and physical health services that they're going to need in the long term. Right. So we just want to make sure that there's a place in the community available for people to go and get all of those services in one place without having to kind of chase them around the city. We want to come to them and make sure that they can get it as easy as possible. That's great. Yeah. It's a work in progress, but we're getting there. <laughs> That's good. So, so what are the, some of those programs? Um, we're working with the Genesee Health System here in Flint to do crisis counseling. Um, so if people come through to get water and they've been affected in any way by the water crisis or really anything that's happening in Flint, unemployment, anything like that, we want to be on site to make sure that that person can talk to someone who knows how to help them, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a social worker or a counselor or whatever that may be. If someone identifies as needing help, we want to immediately provide that help instead of saying, oh, call this phone number or, oh, go here. Right. Because transportation is a huge issue here in Flint, and it's just easier if it's all in one place. Right. Um, so that way we can do crisis counseling on site. We can do blood lead level testing. We can do um, just basically case management and follow-up as far as the physical health aspects go. Um, we can answer a lot of questions for parents for about their health, about their children's health things like that, um, as well as providing the water and the nutrition, basic nutrition that, I mean, everybody needs something like that. 
And here's Vicky. Oh, and hi, Vicky. she's got it all. So. <laughs> I'm John. Nice to hi, meet you. John. Nice to meet you, Vicky Schultz. Nice, nice to meet you. I'm recording right now, just to let you know. That's all right. That's okay. Uh, Vicky, introduce yourself real quick, just so I have Vicky that. Schultz, V I C K Y S C H U L T Z, CEO, Catholic Charities. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I know yep. it was like really last minute, but uh, mm-hmm. appreciate both of you guys mm-hmm. talking to me. So, you were just telling me about some of the programs that are going on yep. with water um, and nutrition and other things like that. So, you said transportation is a big problem here? Transportation is a huge issue here in the city. Um, it's just hard for a lot of people to get even to doctor's offices or to get to the fire stations and pods and things like that to pick up water. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a great bus system with MTA, but they aren't everywhere, obviously, right. and it's hard to carry your five cases of water home with you on the mm-hmm. bus. And um, even if you got one case and you were frail or you couldn't lift, right. and carrying one case of water is, what, 28 pounds? So in one case of water, and what's that? If you're cooking with it and you're drinking with it and you're brushing your teeth with it, right. you're going to go through a case of water in no time. So if you've got to do that every day, and a round-trip bus ticket is $3, I think, if you're in mm-hmm. the city. Uh, so many of these folks don't even have that, and that, mm-hmm. that would add up over time too. So, yeah. And then if you're further out, you know, like getting your kids to get lead tested, get into the health department. I mean, a lot, we know there's a lot of poverty and a lot of underprivileged in the city of Flint. Okay. So first of all, they just, they struggle getting to the next spot they need to go to. So if it's like get my water, but I'm supposed to go to the health department, or I'm supposed to test my water at home and then take it back to the city. I mean... That's we struggle to do it, you know, at very high functioning, got a car and everything else. You know, it's a lot of stops to fit in into a day, a week, or whatever else. So mm-hmm. they do struggle with it because I think Chrissy's probably heard statistics at the meetings and stuff of, you know, out of the thousands of homes that need to be tested for water, the labs only had, I mean, at the very first it was a very small sampling. Now it's probably yeah. grown, but it's certainly not everyone. And we know everyone should be testing on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So not all the homes have been tested for lead levels? Mm-mm. No. Um, every home has a test kit, um, but they're hard to get turned back in because you do have to turn it in either to the fire station, mm-hmm. the city water treatment plant, or the city offices. And if you can't get there, you can't get your water tested, Right. basically. Um, so we, the city is trying with the United Way and 211 and things like that to do home visits. Like if you call and say, I just physically cannot do X, Y, Z, they'll try to work with you to make that happen. We're limited on what we can do because, you know, lack of resources, lack of volunteers, Mm -hmm. lack of basically everything everything. (laughs) makes it hard. And even the ones that turned them in, I mean, there's no guarantee they've done them correctly either. I mean, when you take that water sample, that should be the very first, and that water should have been setting still in that faucet. For six hours. Minimum six hours. So it's first thing in the morning. So before anyone gets up and starts flushing a toilet and moving water in the house, you should be getting your water sample. Wow. So so is the the level of how far it's reached in the city that the flood problem is not is that not really known then? Because not all the houses are tested, or is it pretty well? Well, they got a they got a pretty mapping. good idea um, of where it is. Just and most of it's mapping the pipes that are in the ground. They know what kind of pipes are in which neighborhoods. And it's the pipes that have lead soldering um, that are most at risk you for, can, for that. Isn't but, that that study U of M did? And mm-hmm. you got a whole map of the city of Flint, and then you see these dark areas and areas mm-hmm. they think. But they've it's mapped it concentrated. All I mean, it's not every single home, but it's a lot of them. Is it concentrated in certain areas? 
certain zip code areas. So yeah. That, yeah. Like where you're sitting now, this yeah. zip code. Um, 504, so that's another high one. So field. they're like, you just, when you look at the map, you see these big dark pockets mm -hmm. in different areas. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the best they've done at mapping it out where the pipes are. But that's why they're encouraging everyone to check, mm -hmm. everyone to get some yeah, kind yeah. of, you got to start somewhere with some benchmarks and then mm -hmm. see as every month. That, but people are not testing, I'm sure. It's, I mean, yeah, it's a struggle to get people, and, it, and that's true of, anything I mean, you know we're, we're just, I'm just the buildings that we own Catholic Charities I'm just now setting up a schedule where my maintenance man first of every month get your bottles mm -hmm. get it running in the same faucet same place so we can start tracking is it staying the same is it going up is it going down because we don't even know I mean I'd like to say it's safe here and put everybody back on water but what you're going to find in the whole community is nobody's going to trust. Mm -hmm. So even even when I have the same conversation with staff in a staff meeting, staff that weren't there, how it gets translated to them, that was very interesting because it already came back that I was make, going to make everybody drink the water again. And nobody's ready. So I can't, I mean, I was just saying that day will come. And it's going to be, I mean, if I can't even convince my staff when they see me drinking mm -hmm. it, I, I can't even imagine what the whole community is going to be like. Right. That's a really so. good point. Is it stabilizing or is it going down or is it? I don't, it's, it's stabilizing. The treatment is working. Um, the, the additives that they put in the water, the anti-corrosive, some kind of whatever so. fancy scientist word they like to use for it, but what they're putting in the water is working. So it is recoating the pipes, which basically means the water's not picking up lead anymore. Mm -hmm. They're moving towards being confident and saying the water's safe to drink again. That doesn't necessarily mean anybody's going to actually drink it right. <laughs> when right. we get to because that point. Because at the same time they're saying that, then, then the mayor's got her plan, and she's digging up and moving along every day. Isn't it supposed to be another? I mean, she's got like a 30-day plan, and every day there will be other pipes dug up, Yeah, she's moving 30, along. 30 pipes in 30 days is the mayor's plan, so they're digging and replacing 30 lines in the next 30 days. It's ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that yeah. was her plan because the state or nobody else was coming through, so she sort of put her own plan together and said, we're getting started, so I give her credit, yeah. kudos for her, mm -hmm. because I'm sure between everybody trying to communicate, the feds, the state, the local, um, it still feels like mass confusion. It's and been Chrissy great attends to most have the meetings, all the support um, from, you know, FEMA's been in town, you know, federal DHHS has been in town. Everybody really cares about what's happening here, and that's been really nice to see. It's just the amount of coordination that it takes to make something like that work. <laughs> Very high level. <laughs> and the other thing that we heard a lot of, which was sort of surprising, is that when FEMA comes in and some of these other state officials and all this, is they never, they've never been to a disaster where there wasn't like, you know, by the time they show up and there's been a hurricane or the, uh, tsunami or whatever it is, by the time they show up, it's like done. So now it's like recovery. Mm -hmm. This one, they show up and we're like, still in the middle we're of still it. in the middle of it. So there's times that I think they just scratch their head and go, wow, we've never quite had this yeah, situation. I mean, I heard that out of a few of them. Wow. Because a disaster like this has never happened before. This mm -hmm. has never been declared. I mean, we are declared a federal disaster that's never been anything like this declared mm -hmm. before. So it's a learning experience for all of us. For everyone. Yeah. Um, from the federal government all the way on down to nonprofits and agencies that are working in the city. But one thing that I think is really important to know and one thing that I have found just comforting in all of this is that, I mean, the Red Cross deals with disasters 
on an everyday basis, nationally, internationally. So the people that have come into Flint to help address this disaster have seen they have said they've never seen a community work together as well mm. as ours is. That's great. So, I mean, that's fantastic, knowing that everybody here in the community is working together to to further one specific goal and not anybody's own special little project, I think bodes really well for us. Yeah, that's great. Especially when we know it's a campaign year and everybody's got their exactly. own little agendas. Right. I mean, the community as a whole, those of us that work here, live here, and whatever, is that I think Christy's absolutely right. We hear that time and time again, how we're working so well together. But yet we know there's so much politics in this. I mean, mm -hmm. city of Flint, you're going to have debates here and all this kind of stuff. Come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just the rest of us that are here yeah. on the ground that are yeah. really getting after it. Yeah, well, that's good. Someone's need, someone needs to, yeah. right? And hopefully it just doesn't go away, right? That's something exactly. I've seen before. Exactly. So can you speak a little bit to that confusion between agencies? So, like, between all of it, is there anyone trying to coordinate between everybody? or We are. Um, we have actually a group of community agencies, community groups, um, representatives that meet with representatives from FEMA and the EPA and everything like that, trying to make sure that we're just giving one message out to the community. We don't want anybody to be confused by what's being said. We don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed by what's being said. And we all are on the same team. Mm -hmm. We all are working towards the same goal. So as confused as we can get on who's in charge of what and what this means and what this doesn't mean, I mean, we have been working fairly well together, I would think. Yeah, I would say so. I, I just, there again, I think it's that different twist that it's something different. And so as they're trying to work out what is what is going to be the new process, procedure, or whatever for a disaster of this nature, I think you're just going to have areas that, you know, are gray or sort of a black hole where you didn't think about. But, like, you go to a meeting today at 3, right? She's going to a 3 o'clock meeting. And it's a coordination meeting where everybody comes together. So, I mean, I don't know what you're doing at 3, but if you were to attend that meeting with her... Everybody from the community is everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. And that's where you see you know, a state official stand up, give their update, and then, you know, every person who's playing some role with their different label or hat or title <laughs> or whatever you want to say, yep. uniform, or, right, right. Um, they will all give some kind of report and update. And then it's broke down, and she probably told you, into work groups and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, but that's moving along really well now. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I've heard from day one when we were all tending them, because there were so many of us going in different directions to all these groups, is that I heard, just keep inviting more people, inviting more people. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I showed up to a totally different meeting, Continuum of Care. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I, I think it's probably pretty close to my yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's seven minutes till. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, is that anything you want to do? Yeah, where meeting? is that? It's over, you'd, you wanna, you'd have to probably follow her. Well, if you give, like, me, give me the address, I can just finish Oh, yeah, that's right. Over. Do you know what, do you have that Howard Street address? It's in City Hall, it's not at Oh, City. it's at the City Hall, City Hall? it's in okay. the council, council chambers, yep. That's it's right, it's not, yep, right downtown. Um, so she, she had mentioned getting blood lead uh, level tested. Mm hmm uh, is that something that's it's ongoing to mm -hmm. test? It's is it on, everybody? It's everybody, yep. They're encouraging everyone, but they're focusing primarily on six and under. Mm -hmm. Children, children. But there's many adults that want it done, and the health department's oh, yeah. doing that, too, or you go to your primary care that's physician and get that done. Mm -hmm. So I did. I mean, just because I work here and been drinking this for two years, and so I thought, yeah, I will. But once you've backed off, it leaves. they say it leaves your system within 28, 30 days, something like that. So... I shouldn't say leaves your system, doesn't show up in your system because mm -hmm. it's already been absorbed by your bones and 
and so on. Mm -hmm. So I think they, the public health officials, they'll tell you that they're just going on the basis that all children have drank the water and they're probably all, um, that we just have to see what the effects of the water are going to be on these kids. Some kids, it might just, they can deal with it differently than the next child. It's no different than anything else, but it's going to depend because we know every single child eats differently. Every single child, you know, how much water, how much pop, how much whatever they drink. So it's going to be different for every child. It doesn't mean that every single child who's drank water in the last two years is going to end up with some cognitive behavior problems or this or that. It's no probably no different, but we all know we have to stay alert and we have to track these kids. So they will follow, every kid, six and under, they want tested. So they're pushing for uh, lots of money and everything is now going to be funneled into the early childhood development stuff, into that population, and um, that's been free testing, mobile units, all your health clinics, your health department, the doctors will do it free. So every child under six is the real push. Right. Have you so. noticed or heard about any... You know, obviously there's going to be some issues with having lead levels in children for that long, but have you already started seeing the effects of that with, I don't know, any type of... Oh, well, some some things, you know, like one case, you know, there was a case, I guess, that went to Washington, D.C., and everybody's like, wow, where'd they find that case? One where the mom obviously said that she had a kid that was getting, you know, perfect in school and great grades and this and that, and then now after two years of drinking this water, he's failed, you know, he's like, I don't know, what, elementary grade of some sort, I didn't see it on the news. I was told about it and said, now where on earth did that kid come from that they already know? But, you know, if that really is true and they find that out, that was a pretty devastating case, I mean, what they were showing in Washington, D.C. So she went with this kid and testified or did something. So I missed that piece of it. But you've got people like that that are coming out saying that's what caused rashes and that's what's causing this behavior and so on. Now, for Catholic Charities, we're in the foster care business, and so we already have to... As soon as we heard about all of this, I mean, we had to go and take water to all of our foster homes, make sure they have filters on. We had to make sure that they know how to change a cartridge in them. Um, and all the kids that, all the kids in the home, regardless of the age, they all had to be blood tested. And we had to test all those foster care homes, too, that are in the city of Flint. And we're doing that every single, we're tracking all that stuff. And we have a statewide data system. So obviously, if you're in the foster care and adoption business, you have to pay attention to all those kids, even if we adopted out 30 kids last year mm -hmm. and the year before that, we still have to follow up with those kids because if they were in a family, in a foster home that was in the city of Flint. So it's been a lot of extra work for us in many, many different aspects of everything we do here. Now, Chrissy talks about the water distribution, and we've been doing that since day one, but you've got to think about our soup kitchens. You've got to think about the people who stay in our warming center. I mean, we've had to worry about, you know, 180, 100 employees, you know, and we're, how we make coffee, and what do we, you know, bottled water here, and they can't turn the faucet on anymore. And so just working in an environment, you know, like that's open from basically 8 to 8, you know, there's 12 hours, and then the warming center, we're still making meals in the evening and those kinds of things. You just had to worry about gallon jugs of water, how you're going to rinse pasta, mm -hmm. how you're going to cook your vegetables, how you can, and we're serving over 15,000 meals a month. So, you, you know, you really had to stop and think about it. And then the employees that I have that live in the city of Flint, um, it's sad because, I mean, you'll see them in their car and then they'll drive up and then they put cases of water in their trunk and you talk to some of those and they just say, you know, it's just every day, it's just another another burden, another thing they got to worry about. You know, you always got to have, wa I mean, bottled waters in your bathroom because 
I'm sure it would take me a while because I would just want to immediately brush my teeth and just think you turn the faucet on and not thinking, oh, I got to take a cup in there, I got or a glass in there, I got to take a bottle of water in there, and I'm going to brush my teeth now. I mean, I would have to really stop and get myself in a different habit, you know. So I think just doing that. And a lot of them were worried, you know, at first it was like, can you bathe in it? Can you shower in it? Can you do all these kinds of things? So there's been lots of controversy about that, but the last word we get from the public health officials is... For any adults, it's not a problem. They're just saying keep small children out of the bathtubs because there's probably not a small child that doesn't want to play in the tub, drink the water, splash, and whatever else. So there's so there's many of our families that we even know they heat up um, water, you know, like gallon jugs of water. They boil it on the stove, and then they add it to the bathtub, and so they're trying to fill up a tub to wash two or three kids in there at the same time with bottled water and prefer, you know, hopefully gallon jugs of water and not opening up that many water bottles. So it's a totally different way of life, I'm sure, that they got to live like this, you know. Yeah. I just know what it's like in the office, not alone thinking, you know. I mean, I go home and still turn on my faucet, you know, because I'm outside of the city of Flint, so. That's scary. Yeah, it very, is. Very, very scary. Yeah. Um, it's almost living like a third world country, you know. Yeah, you just can't yeah. even imagine we'd ever see this day. Well, and that's sort of like when this all got announced. I mean, we have soup kitchens, you know, one on site here. I have a warming center where people stay 24-7, sleep on the floor, come with, you know, give them a uh, bag to sleep on or a quill or something. We, you know, you then get all their personal need items here. Like I said, so we feed them, we're clothing them, we're giving them what they need. I didn't think anything come more basic than that. And then all of a sudden, oh, I guess there is water, <laughs> you know. And so then it was a whole new level of, you know, it's almost at the very bottom. And if you can't provide safe, clean water to folks, that is sad. Yeah. Uh, as part of the research I did for this, uh, I talked to a uh, professor out of Berkeley who spent like the past 35 years studying water and, and water utilities and all that. Uh, and he told me a study he conducted where they asked... I don't know, it was like 15,000 people where water comes from, and 70% of the people said the faucet. Oh, my goodness. Right. When I heard that, I, I, was, I was astonished because, I mean, even myself, I mean, I would say it's probably where it comes from. Like, where do you get water from? I get it from the faucet. I wouldn't think Lake Michigan. Oh, you know? my goodness. See, and I've always lived on a farm, so right. I've always had a well. Well, right. So all of this is so, like, new to me. I mean, this is all different to me, that mm -hmm. you have to have a water supply. You know, you've got to get that, you know, because to me, you dig a well and you have a well in the ground and sometimes our water, you know, if it hasn't been on or I'm on vacation, our water's, water will spit and mm -hmm. sputter and yeah, it'll look yeah. orange too, you right. know. But, so this was all new to me to think, oh, okay, you're purchasing it from, we buy, I mean, you sort of got to learn what it is. It's coming right. from the Detroit River, now we're back to the Flint River, and I was going through you know, you know, but for a standard person, I guess, who's always just turned on the faucet and never had to worry about a well or well problems, that probably would be the answer, right. I guess. Right. Um, exactly. What was it like when this got announced? What was the, how did everyone react? How did you react to it? Oh, my God. What did I? I'm sure I said something more than, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was... Um, you have to tell them how you were called all the way down to City Hall and the whole bit, Mickey, on the run. Oh, yeah. I think, first of all, it was probably, I mean, yet it was shocking. It was probably more shocking when it became declared as a national disaster. I think I always questioned what, you know, Mary was working with us. There was a bunch of us. It, when it was orange, we always questioned it. And then the city way back over a year ago started this um, Keep the Water Flowing. It was a campaign. 
and we help here with water bills, you know, so people's water didn't get shut yeah. off. Well, when they switched, the water rates have just been outrageous. So it's two different things here. One is the quality of the water, and the other is, is how expensive. Now, if people I, I tell you the truth, I don't think it would have been probably as devastating if our water was really cheap. You know, if your water bill was $10 a month, say. But when a standard person who lives alone has a water bill of 150 a month, I mean, one of our employees who makes $9 an hour, and she come in and she said, my water bill is 150 I do two loads of laundry a week, and I take a shower every other night. and So she can't be using that much. We've seen water bills here that, yeah, they might be a couple months worth, but 1200 people that owe 1800 I can't even imagine. There again, I'm back to thinking I have a well. I don't pay for that. I pay to put my well in, but I don't pay for my water. So so I think you got two things that sort of, one is the price of the water was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So then when you got the quality is terrible, it's like a double whammy. You know, if the yeah. water would have been cheap, I think people would have, well, we got, you know, we're terrible. What we're yeah. yeah, so yeah, we're getting what we pay for kind of thing. So we start going to this keep the water flowing meeting, and there was the gentleman who ran the water treatment plant there, and we really liked him, and I kept saying, is there anything we want? No, we're having it tested. It's okay. Why is it orange? Well, that's just because, you know, and blah, blah. And we'd ask the same questions. Mary, you were there, weren't we? Yeah, the same stuff. The same stuff over and over, over you know, and, and we were just told. And then um, about... When, when was that water giveaway in our gym? February 3rd, last year. Last year, February of 2015. 15, yep. And they're saying everything's okay, okay, okay. And then they wanted to use our gymnasium, and the city wanted to do a water giveaway. And Mary and I said, well, all we're, we're not hosting this thing. We're just letting you use our gym. And we just sort of scratched our heads, and we're saying, okay, the water's okay, but yet you're going to give out water. So it seemed like an oxymoron, isn't that what that's called? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, that that we just always seem puzzled by. And I personally said to the mayor, I said, if you're trying to convince the city that the water's okay, and they were on TV all the time and everything else, we gotta, we got to show the community if it's okay, we can't just talk the talk, we got to drink the water. So when we hosted it in our gym, we had a pitcher, didn't we, Mary? A, a water pitcher <laughs> and glasses. Because our belief was if we're furnishing the setup, you're going to drink the water. Regardless that, we're wondering, like, we're scratching our heads like, why are you giving water away, you know, if you're telling us it's safe? So there was always that in the back of my mind. So when it happened, it was like, yep, see, we did know there was something wrong. And so then you become sort of angry. I mean, I think it's just the common person that's like, okay, have you been lied to? Who lied to us? How come we were told this? You know, and I mean, they really did know something. Why were they giving water away way back February 2015? You know, if we're just discovering now and a year later in 2016 that it wasn't safe. So I think we went through probably, when you ask how did I feel, I think a lot of different emotions. I mean, I think there's that part that, wow, it's bigger than what you thought, especially when it becomes a federal disaster or federal emergency. I think you go from you know, the people that you thought you were trusting at higher levels that you couldn't trust. Um, it was just sort of that wow factor. And, and the thing is, I don't think, as in my position it's or, or something, it wasn't like you have a lot of time to analyze or think about it. You just sort of, your, your boots hit the ground. And I would say almost the minute it was declared, water start pouring in. And I, I knew something was up because I was at a rotary meeting at um, noontime on a Friday. And they were tracking me down, and my cell phone said, 
you need to call immediately and it was uh, the United Way director and he was at an emergency command center. I thought, what is up? And it just said, can you leave your meeting and come now? And I thought, well, this is interesting. I, I mean, I didn't even know where come to was. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know this command center was in the lower level of the county building. So I got up out of Rotary, paid my fine for leaving early, <laughs> <laughs> and went down to, and found this thing. And sure enough, they had already appointed a state emergency manager-like. Um, someone, they called it the commands, the state command center. And he's a state police officer, and they already, it was set up like a whole command center with all these police officers and everything, and they were ready to be able to tackle this because the calls are going to get flooded in, 211, the news is going to cover it, and they were trying to be prepared for when this breaks. And so the arrangement at that time was that semis are going to start coming in immediately of people that are going to donate water, and the semis would all go to the food bank because they have a loading dock and they have... Uh, forklifts and all that. In Catholic Charities, we'd like you to take everything less than semis. So that might be the pickup truck, the car thing, anything it, you know, anything that wasn't on pallets because we didn't have. And it was like, okay, so that was the message. So we, it was really just giving clear message with clear instructions. So the state was setting up the fire stations for distribution. Catholic Charities, you will help fill the fire stations. It never even got to that point. Uh, did we ever supply water to a fire station? Not once. Not once. I mean, because the demand here, because then the food bank got to the point, we're full. We don't need any more. Well, I'm not going to turn water away because just because you're full, when we're full, it would be stacked everywhere, and Mary can attest to that, and all my employees could. The hallways are full. My office can be full. I mean, mm -hmm. I can find room to take water as long as it keeps coming. Well, they kept saying they're full, and so we start getting... Um, Art Van hooked up with us. Yeah, we partnered with Art Van and Channel 4 in Detroit. And then also Grand Rapids with the Sleep Doctor and what channel is that, 7? Uh, yes, Seven. OOD. And so Art Van brings a truck. Now it's slowing down. Is it still every day? Uh, we're doing about every other day at this point. We've had two this week. But it's been. But when it was at its prime, it was every day we had a new semi. One day we had 12 semis here. Semis. Now remember, we were the ones that weren't going to take semis, and mm -hmm. here we are taking semis. So, but when we first started, uh, and and when I literally say our boots are on the ground, you'll hear Chrissy say that all of us. It was like my facilities guy was on vacation. You might know, and the first umpteen semis came, right? Yep, we were and on we, our own. <laughs> and we were on our own with no male direction on what we should do. So we just lined up in a, you know, just in a what do you call that kind of line, just. Assembly, assembly line, line yeah. thank you. Assembly line, and we start putting it in the gym. So as each semi pulled up, and I have to say that all the guys from Art Van and everybody we've come into, run into, I mean, you always hear truck drivers won't lift a finger. These guys all helped us unload. They probably saw all of us, but at that point then it was people coming from all over the country. People, I mean, we could just tell story after story. A young man who got a bonus check, and he drove from where? New where Rochester, New York. Rochester, New York, he took his bonus, bought, bought water, and drove all the way here to deliver that water, went back, he worked for, uh, was it a mattress, mattress company? A mattress company. When he went back to work and told him what he did, his boss matched his bonus and sent out more water. Huh. You know, so I mean, the stories of people that are so touched by this that can't believe, you know, and they just go on and on and on, and I mean, 
And if somebody pulls up, a woman came out of Ohio one evening about, what was that, 536 o'clock? Along with her dog. <laughs> along with her dog, drove in a great big Suburban, had a big covered trailer, and her youth group had collected water. Well, when they come pulling in at 6 o'clock, I'm not going to say the place is rumbling at that time. You know, everybody's went home. So who'd they get? They got Mary and I and whatever. And we went down to the warming center, got some homeless people out of the warming center and said, can you help us unload? So at 6 o'clock at night, we're still unloading cases of water. So we were, that's how we were reacting to this immediately. We just did what? And it was going as fast as we were getting it. Oh, it was. The, they have, there's three of them in this department. Sheila across the hall. My, there was probably, see, three, four, five, six, seven, probably six to seven of us that were taking calls, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Six or seven of and us taking. And the front desk. And the calls were everything from everybody, and it's whoever they could get through to. I'm not saying this is the first place they called. This might have been the first place they actually got a voice. But we are the place that City Hall and Red Cross, we're the place that they're sending people. Hmm. So Somebody when people... calls and says, oh, no, we're not taking it, but call Catholic Charities. So we became the dump off. <laughs> good, good for you guys. That's great. Yeah, so, I mean, but we basically, I feel like because we're open, like, from 8 to 8, so you'd get a human voice, you'd get somebody that wanted to talk about what's going on. I took calls at the CEO that would just ring right on my desk, and it was a lady from a coffee shop in California. And by God, they were collecting it. She didn't know how she was going to get it out of here. And the day came, and she said, here's the guy. She communicated with me. So whoever takes that call, we typically would follow through with that whole transaction. So... It was interesting to be involved in all of those kinds of things. Chrissy was our main contact, the one you met here. Mm -hmm. She'd be backed up, oh, by the time she'd go home, what, 50 to 75? Um, oh, my gosh. We were trying to help split up calls. We tried to split up calls. Keep up with them. You couldn't keep up with it. And it was everyone you picked up was another one from somewhere else in the country. And still coming. But the woman from the coffee shop, which I thought was funny, too, she says, it's coming. Here's the truck. She didn't know how she was going to get it here, but she was going to, and it, it was a coffee shop in L.A., and she was doing a favor for the friend who had the coffee shop. She said, I told him it was your great idea. I'll find a way to get it to um, Michigan. So she found some truck driver who's delivering cars. So it was on the top rack of a car carrier, all these cases of water, okay, all these cases were up there. He called me at my desk, or on my cell phone, because I think I gave that woman my cell phone. He called me on my cell phone to tell me who he was and that he was in Grand Rapids delivering truck, or delivering cars, and that he'd be there. Well, at that time is when I finally figured out it was on a car carrier. And I said, how are we going to get it off a car carrier? I mean, like, I couldn't even figure out how we're going to do this. We'd already done a lot of things. Sure enough, he pulled up here, and the, the guys worked at getting it off a car, that car trailer. And he wanted to know how long it took to get from Grand Rapids to Flint, Michigan, to deliver that water. And that was that call that started out in a coffee shop in L.A. That's so it's, uh, But we got hundreds of those stories. You know, I'm just telling you a couple that I'm aware of, and... Mary can tell you another zillion, but it, it is the outpouring support is now. I'm just so, that's what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. It's the smiles you put on people's faces. It's knowing they help. A lot of people come with a whole family. They want to see how they can do it. I mean, you see things on our Facebook where the family pulled up and they had their whole car was full. Well, all they do is open up their trunk and they stay out in the parking lot and they're handing it out right out of their trunk. So yeah, That's what I did when I got here, actually. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. And then that is slow. I yeah. mean, we were doing, I think, did Mary or Chrissy yeah. tell you? At our prime, we were doing between three and 4,000 cases a day. Wow. Do you, and, do you have enough water now? Well, we do as of today. 
Yep. Now, I was standing out there yesterday when Channel 4 showed up, and we had no water because we didn't have a new semi yet from um, Mark Van. But in the meantime, a, wa a woman from Waterford and her four kids, her homeschool kids, their church collected up, and they came with 44 oh, pieces of water, and that lasted till exactly when the Art Van truck showed up. I saw that on Facebook last yeah. night. I wondered if that's what happened. I saw them standing Things there. Things so. just work out. Things just work out. I mean, and we the thing with Catholic Charities is I think... We're so, we're flexible, we're going to meet the demand, or whatever somebody throws at us. We just sort of, we're there. So Art Van, the, the furniture company? Uh-huh. So they're donating water. They have uh, drop-off stations at all their stores in Michigan, and now they expanded Ohio and Indiana, did you in tell Illinois. me? Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. And so they're still coming, but it's like, they're just, they're supplying the driver and the trucks. So it's like that has caught on because almost everybody sees an art van commercial yeah. or goes to an art van or so. And I think Sleep Doctor is a lot like that too, but art van is really a biggie. And if it wasn't for them, we would never have the kind the of supply of water. water drives in Chicago and going to their art van and dropping off the water. Because that's how they'll know it'll get here. Yeah. I'm going to do that now, now that I know. So that's great to know. <laughs> um, yep. What about the, the burden on people that have to now buy what, cases of water as opposed I mean it was it was bad before from what you said just the water rates ran, went up but mm -hmm. I would imagine it's any better now well every the community still has water so if anybody can't afford water or even if they can't afford it I mean long as they know it's still free and available to them I would assume they're still going to get it at the fire stations but that's going to be ready to close down sometime in April and now the state and all these committees are trying to set up pods and a pod is going to be where a semi-trailer comes in, sets up their canopy for the day, and there's nine wards in the city of Flint. So, you know, wards like a district, mm -hmm. okay? So their goal is to get a pod set up in all nine wards. And then, of course, another thing is get people jobs. So the state now will, is sending money through... Um, you know, like your work first programs and so on, and they will hire people to be at those pods. I don't know what the hours is. Have you even heard what the hours are going to be for pods? No, it's shorter. Sandy's operating as a pod and not as a pod over at Holy Temple. You mean not officially? Not officially. No. She okay. is, but she isn't. So there's so many church doing their own things, but the state's going to come in and designate these pods because they're going to make sure that semi gets there every day. There will be one person that will be like the supervisor for that pod, and then they'll hire anyone off the street or whoever goes and applies, and that will be helping the unemployment rate and the people that are unemployed in this community. Now, I don't know if that's for the next six months or a year or what that is, but there still will people be able to go to a pod within their ward and you don't have to make it to a fire station. It should make it a little bit easier for these people with transportation issues. But like the church Mary's talking about, she's got tons of water yet. And and so you hear about it, and uh, it's funny because sometimes we hear it's coming here, and next thing it doesn't show up, and it went somewhere else, which that's okay with mm -hmm. us as long as somebody's putting it to good use and vice versa. So that's working like that throughout the entire community. But to the point that somebody goes out and buys wire water, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I suppose if it was somebody, like, if I lived in the city, I'd probably, when I'm getting groceries, I'd probably buy my own water. I'm not sure. Well, if I worked here, it's right in the parking lot. But, you know, I don't know if I'd go out of my way, put it that way. If I had the if I had the $4 to buy a case of water every time I go to the store, I'd be probably buying my water and not going to the fire station. Mm -hmm. But I would say a lot of people are taking advantage of the free water. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, I've just looked out and I see 
I mean, I'm being judgmental if I say, you know, an Escalade pulls in and they're getting water. Like, go to the store and buy it. Right. But then who am I to say I'm not living in this situation, so I shouldn't be judging at all. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it was on sale. I got six cases for, like, $25. Wow. But yeah, but that's yeah. Uh, that's not enough. If I had two kids and a wife, like, that's not enough for, that's a day and a half. So you're know? probably going to take advantage of it if right. you can get it free. Because right. it probably is going to become a burden anyway. I right. mean, you've got to cut out the dog food or something in order to buy the water. Right. You That's know? like three times the rate of yeah. gas a day is what I'm paying yeah. for water now. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a burden on families. And I just listen to my employees talk about it. You know, And the couple that I hear about the most don't even have a family. They're just by themselves living. And, and I just hear them say, God, you know, just uh, they even put a, uh, one of them even put a filtered, um, shower head on because she's worried about the water, you know, which, I mean, if the filter, if the filter is supposed to take out the lead, but see there again, it's not going to work because you don't supposed to run hot water through them. Nope. Hmm. So I don't know what the object of putting the shower head on. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Cold showers. Yeah. Cold showers. If you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's a great burden on everyone that lives here. I mean, I, I just know what it's like just to th- try to think about all the flip places like I said it touches our services and that's enough if I had to go home every night and think that I had to live in one of these I don't know yeah I I, I don't know that would be very hard to handle I imagine so you said that the fire stations are, are closing down in April um, as a distribution center and yes. then they're transitioning to these pods correct okay correct but these pods should be better than fire stations just because it'd be more convenient um there'll be more of them um do you think the supply will keep up I'm hoping so. Okay. Uh, and I assume that the governor and somebody at the state level's got funding into that to keep it up. So if the water doesn't come in donated, somebody's going to have to spend money and buy water, you know. But we're finding, you know, a lot of other donations. People are doing hand sanitizers and baby wipes and shower wipes and all that kind of stuff, too, you know, so people that are concerned. And, and we've put a lot of that to use because downstairs in our homeless population there isn't a shower here yet there will be when we finish this campaign but for now there's no showers or anything Hmm. like that Hmm. so i so one way or another the supply of water's got to be either come in free or it's going to have to be paid for with state dollars but you know community foundation in this community's got um an account set up for but that's supposed to be for future problems and children and so on but that their goal is a hundred hundred million and then the Chamber of Commerce, didn't they just get $25 million? $25 million. $25 million the Chamber got, and that was between Huntington Bank and Tom Gores. Yep. And, you know, like you've got a health coalition. I think they've gotten lots of money already from the state. Um, DHF, you know, our Department of Health and Human Services on a state level, lots of money been funneled there. So there's money out there. Um, I don't know how it's all going to get utilized or mm-hmm. anything else. And right now, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we're necessarily in line for any of those funds um, because through the chamber, they're going to look at small businesses to keep them going, and we're a nonprofit, so we're not going to fit. Because one of my folks already asked if it's going to even help nonprofits at all, and it, the answer was no, it's not meant for that. And the other one would be we don't do a lot with early childhood because we don't run Head Start or some of those kinds of things. We have them in foster care, just like as newborn babies and so on. Um, But they'll probably say, no, that foster home would enroll that child in a Head Start program or one of those programs. So I'm not sure that Catholic Charities will benefit down the road from any of these funds that are set up, but 
we would hope to. I'm just not sure at this point where it's all going to fit. Yeah. I saw something um, in the hallway that said the, the poverty rate is near 40%. percent mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's it's, sad to hear. That one I'm looking at says 38.2. Yeah. Is it still that high, Mary? Do you know? Yes. Yes? Um, one out of three. In the pamp- in the folder that I gave him are all the stats. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. This, is, this was a good publication they yeah. did that covered everything in Flint. Here's the update on our campaign. And I, you know, regard, I know here, as we work on this campaign, which we're close to filling that last gap of $1.5 million, you know, I pretty John's much. John's got that money in his trunk. <laughs> he does. Take cash. Wow. Yeah, we take cash. Yeah. Absolutely. I got a forklift. We can get it out of your there trunk. You, you keep the suitcase. <laughs> keep the suitcase. Okay. Um, we, um, I've, I've said we will have clean, safe water in this building because they have huge um, filtration systems and things. Hospitals have installed. U of M, University of Michigan's installed. We will install something like that on this building. So as you know, we started renovations already now in the gym. Mary and all those folks are moving in the next couple of weeks here, and then this part of the building will be the major renovations. But we've got someone already looking into those systems because I've heard from people, you know, that's done them in third world countries all the way mm-hmm. to maybe this is what we need here. But we will have clean water. So regardless if the city is still monkeying around with pipes, because what I don't understand in my head is you can change these pipes out you're probably going to have orange water for some time because, you know, as you turn it on, you flush out a whole system or they flush out a fire hydrant. You can see. I mean, I sat and looked out my window last year for two hours and the water was still orange after it run and run and run. They were just flushing out a fire extinguisher. Or, yeah, fire hydrant, yeah, yeah. Fire hydrant. That's yeah. what I meant, yeah. Huh. And so, um, but here, uh, we've even talked about with our renovations and downstairs we're having showers for men and showers for women in a laundry facility. We've talked about, you know, maybe going one less wash machine and putting a basin in where you can come with gallon jugs or you can come like a filling station. So people, we can say, mm-hmm. we have clean, filtered water, blah, 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 and we can promote that, especially to this population. Because if they're still in an older home or the, some of these people don't even have running water. I mean, when we close, they'll be back in these dessert, these vacant houses, and they'll just be squatting in them. So they still got to have a place to get water. And I'd rather give it to them, and we have to figure out how we're going to pay our water bill here. Versus last year, was it, wasn't it last year when somebody broke off our outdoor faucet? Yeah. We never had that before, you know, vandalism and that kind of stuff. So that tells you water's high. They wanted access to water, so we come in, and the whole outdoor spigot was broke off, and the water's... Well, I don't want people to vandalize in order to get water, something that's so simple. So we will provide the water, and then we will figure out how we as a nonprofit will pay for our water bill. People come with milk jugs and and those kinds of things. And we've always recycled water bottles here and that kind of stuff because we do that in our personal needs closet. So, I mean, could we recycle milk cartons and that kind of stuff so people could leave here with, you know, you could recycle right now. we got tons of the one-gallon water containers so here, here's three of them as you go home. You know, you mm-hmm. came to eat lunch here today, but you're going back to your vacant house you live in. Take a couple jugs of water with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fill them up in the fill station. Is there a lot of people who, who squat in these vacant houses? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yes. Huh. We When we first opened our warming center downstairs, and that just all, all actually happened sort of by 
well, accident, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what you'd call it. We had, a, we had a sack lunch program. I was looking out the window, and we had this great big school, you know, that we're in right here. So I took it over in 2010. The heat was on. Now, you've got these old boiler systems, you know, and the heat's either on or off. So Mary's either over here in her bathing suit or she's over here freezing. You know, it's one of the two. Yeah, it's one of the two. You know, you never have an in-between in these kind of systems because you can't regulate. There's no zoning and all that kind of stuff to regulate it. So the heat was on, and I was looking out the window, my window in the building I'm in next door faces north, and they were lining up for their sack lunch program. And no cars around. They're just lined up waiting for the sack lunches, and they had to go to that building. And um, a guy got, I don't know, he had three or four sack lunches. And I'm oh, he's going to get in his car and go home. And I'm looking. He's not getting in any car. Motor, you know, so you know he's going back, and pretty soon I saw the first sandwich come out of the bag, the paper bag's flying away, and he's standing with the wind blowing in the snow, and he's eating a cold sandwich. So I'm feeling just guilty because the heat's on in this building, so I called up John Mance, Mike, the guy who runs my soup kitchens, and I said, you know, John, put on a coffee pot, and as of tomorrow, move the sack lunch program into the lower level where the old uh, cafeteria used to be. And he says, Okay. And then a couple of days it was like, calls me and says, well, how did I get them out of here? So it was already 2, 3 in the afternoon. And it wasn't just lunch. It was now they wanted to stay. Well, Mary knows because she was, in, you know, we tried to figure out what we were doing. And within a probably short two weeks, we had a warming center. The folks wanted to stay. There was no place to go back out and be in the elements, go to a vacant house, go back under their bridge or a tent or whatever they're living in. So we said, okay, all right, I guess we've got to hire some staff, and I guess we're going to have to get some security, but things came. I mean, we were learning our lessons as we were going along. So within two weeks, we were operating 24-7 as a warming center. And one of those nights, we had 140 people downstairs. And I thought everybody left the shelter to come here. And so I asked John, I said, John, call the shelters and make sure there's still people in them, you know, because I'm really, they were all full. So our very first year, there was nights that we'd experienced that many people here. Families, kids. I, I mean, it was a learning experience, I think, for both Mary and I because I'm thinking just the person who's basically homeless, homeless, and then I'd walk out at night at 6 o'clock at night in the winter. It's dark, and this end of the parking lot would have all these cars in there. I'm thinking, oh, what are all those cars? Well, those are people who either lived in their vehicle, they couldn't afford to keep it running, it was so bitter cold, or they had no... Um, heat going in their homes and they'd come here to sleep with their family then return to maybe their home during the day when the sun was out or the daylight or whatever. So it was people that literally had vehicles that were staying here for the night just for that shelter and that warmth. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of people. We couldn't continue at 140 because we're not supposed to have that many down there or in the building or anything else and now we usually run between what, 40 and 50? Yep, 40 depending and 50. on the weather. Yeah, depending on the weather, because if it gets extremely cold, we're not going to turn somebody away. Um, breaks our heart when we see, you know, moms come in here with three little kids, and sometimes they're babies and toddlers, and um, see them come in here just before Christmas, or see people that, you know, are on crutches and wheelchairs, and, you know, right now it's not handicap accessible, so some of the guys will carry somebody down in a wheelchair, flight of steps, mm -hmm. and 
So it's been interesting, but as of tomorrow, we're closing because it's April 1 tomorrow, and uh, that will complete our, what, sixth year? Yeah. And lots of lessons have been learned over that six oh, years. <laughs> lots. Mary's probably got more stories to tell. The first year I was very close to the whole thing because we were trying to figure out what on earth we got ourselves into. But we saw a need, and um, it seemed to make sense that if the heat's on, why are you letting someone freeze to death somewhere, you know, or be in a vacant house? But, no, I'd say there's a lot of squatters, wouldn't you, Mary? Oh, yeah. I mean, and many of these people over the winter you get to know, and you get to know their stories. And it's very interesting because they will tell you they check us out as much as, like, we're checking them out. I mean, they have to know if they can trust us. They have to know um, if we really practice what we preach, you know. They they want to know they're going to get treated with dignity and respect. And, and, and then that news travels fast. I mean, they all have their own little network or group. And so when this breaks like now, they might stay closer because it's still cold or whatever. But then as spring, you know, as it gets warmer, they'll go back out because they might have their own area. So some will return to the east side of Flint. They might have their own certain houses. Some will return, and that's the same way they'll come back December 1. So December 1, they know our opening date because, my goodness, we have them on December 1. We do. Wow. So it's like, so it's really, uh, the first year there was a lot. Mary's even went to a homeless house before and had lunch there. She <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> How, what was that like? Um... I didn't give it a lot of thought until I got over there. there tell, home- tell them what your first thought was, why you had to do it. Where but, was Vicki? Where was Vicki? Uh. <laughs> I'm walking past the building. It was a love. This woman had been returned to us. Her feet, she was found in Pontiac, frozen to the pavement. And they took her to Pontiac Osteopathic Hospital. And when it came time for her to leave, they said, you know, where do you live? Charities <laughs> Warming Center in Flint. So the police in West Bluefield and Pontiac, they put their money together and they put her in a cab and they sent her home. They sent her back to us. <laughs> and so for a few weeks, she was wandering around barefoot. Her feet were black with frostbite and they didn't want her to put any shoes or anything on because they were afraid she'd lose a toe and not be aware of it. So she wandered around with her feet just black. And one day she came into my office and she said, Mary, I've got to show you something. And she started to take her socks off and I'm thinking, I'm not ready to see this. I am just not ready. And she pulled off her socks and a doctor up at Hamilton Clinic had taken, had been concerned for it and she pulled off her socks and her feet were lovely, nice pink skin. And I, yeah. I felt so good. Yeah. Um, but she would periodically bring me gifts and I've got little presents and things that she'd find and write me notes and bring things and what have you. She said one of these days she's going to have me over for lunch. And she was in a house just around the corner, which is now burned down. Um, and I said, okay, fine, Deborah, we'll, you know, <laughs> we'll go to lunch with you, no problem. And I truly didn't expect it to happen. She's a very determined lady. Oh, very determined. Oh, my gosh. Vicki, the two of us sat in Vicki's office with her for an entire afternoon one day. And she'd obviously been living with cats. <laughs> she, and she, obvi- at one point, she was probably upper middle class. I mean, yeah. she knew what she was talking about. She's a fast talker. You can follow her. She tracks well. Her husband and, had owned a business or something. And her life was south of us. Here. What you find with many of these people, it's interesting. Some are well-educated people. Their life gets out of control and it spirals, and then they can't pull themselves back out. And we hear that over and over, don't we, Mary? Oh, do we ever? But she appeared one day, standing in front of my desk, and said, "Are you ready for lunch?" And I said, "Oh yeah." And I was not really paying a lot of attention to it. 
people come in with a lot of different stories. She says, okay, let's go. And so I'm following her across the parking lot, and people from the warming center behind me are, Miss Mary, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? <laughs> I'm passing the building thinking, where's Vicki when I need her? And <laughs> so, nope, we went through a fence, a hole in the fence behind a house Some, over here. So it was real brushy back there. Yeah, down and around and through the trees and up to the back door of this house, and there was no back door. Um, she had a dog that was right in her entryway, and you looked right down into the basement, which was full to the, almost to the top step with just junk, just stuff in this basement. And I went into the kitchen, and everything was neat and tidy and spick and span with things she'd gotten here. All <laughs> kinds of things she'd gotten from the community closet. And um, we sat on a table she'd made out of boxes and chairs that had been downstairs in the warming center. And she had little tea lights on what had been the chandelier in the dining room. And she had a cooler with ice, and so we had Pepsi out of the cooler. And she had made in an outdoor barbecue two houses down, uh, we had spaghetti. Didn't <laughs> you have to help her carry it back? Yeah, we had to go out and get it, and I'd help carry it back in the house. And uh, she had crackers and cheese and did all this stuff all set out, and there I sat. And <laughs> she's, she's putting all these pieces together, and it's not... It wasn't until then that it really struck me how vulnerable it was. To, I'd never considered it. I don't worry about my safety here. I don't. And at that moment, I thought you could hear people going by in the backyard. And she had no door. But you could hear people coming and going, you know, because they were cutting through the same holes that we had just cut through. <laughs> and she had her living room all set up like a bedroom because she boarded up the upstairs. She was on probation, so she wasn't supposed to be hanging out with anybody with drugs or any felonies or anything else, so she didn't want anybody in her house. Um, but at that moment, it occurred to me that nobody really knew where I was. Nobody, no Vicki, nobody knew where I was. And anything, You were having fun. It was, it was an injury. I wouldn't trade it now for anything, but it, it But it, I don't think moment. she processed it till she, after she went Probably through the not. experience. Like, you know, how do you... How do you fall asleep at night with no back door? How do you... You know, and Mary it, Mary is good that she went along with this because so many of the people here, so many people that are, you know, our personal friends, no way. I mean, you know, she, Mary didn't have any idea, expiration date on anything, you know, and you got fanatics. I'm sure you got some of his friends, and I got a husband like that that's ridiculous, goes in the garbage, and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And so you don't know what you're eating when you're eating with them. That would have phased her feelings for the world because she really went to some trouble to make that nice for me as best as she could. Aww. And I never, never would I have hurt her feelings with that. But it, it, you know, you go home at night and you lock the door, or you don't. You know, quite often you, you don't. And don't lock yeah, the door, they don't have a door. But you don't to hear those people out there who could come in and hurt you or take your things or. And she was on parole. So she was very careful about who came into her house because with this homeless population, so many of them are on parole too. Oh, and she, anybody box. who uses drugs or anything like that, she don't want them in her vacant house that doesn't have a door. So she constantly would be in fights or telling people to get out of here because you're not staying here. You can't even come in. Because if anybody was going to check on her, she certainly wasn't going to have somebody who's using drugs on her property or in her whatever. So one day, I'm sitting quietly in my space, and the sun is shining, and birds are singing, and there's a commotion out in the hallway. So I go out to see what's going on, and Deborah had come in and was filling out paperwork, 
and she's sitting at the end of a table we had out there with this box, and she had opened the box, and our security guard said, Deborah, you can't have this. You can't have it. She'd had a beer can, and it, that was the end for her. That just kind of, she broke, and she cried, and Mary, why can't I do this? And she was just upset. So she comes in with this and opens this up. Everything she owned in the world was fit in this box. Her entire world. And she had a beer can because it was worth 10 cents. She was going to so. get the 10 cents for it. It was her medications that she had because of her her frostbite and some odds and ends of this, that, and the other, and a couple of necklaces. And this is what she was living out of, this box. Mm-hmm. And I can't bear to throw it away. I <laughs> just... This was her whole Can world. I get a picture of that? Sure. sure. Well, you sure got to tell, tell him this one, too. I see your other one. My other guy, yes. Yeah. But that's... We run into a lot of interesting people over here. But it's... Yeah, for so many people... I mean, we may have named it the Center for Hope, but it it, it is, really is the Center yeah. It really is. It's the only hope. hope they have. It's, this oh. is... This was one night on a Friday when we were leaving. Fridays we close early here. We close at 4.30 instead of 5.30. And invariably, like with anything else, 4.25, there's something that's going to get in the way. <laughs> Do you work here? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> can't say no. <laughs> and you can't, especially when you're the last one out of the building. So <laughs> coming across the parking lot, and as I'm going toward the car, this car comes zooming in ahead of me and kind of closes off the alley. And stops, and a lady gets out, and a man gets out, and he's taking bags out of the car for her, and she gives him a big hug, and off he goes, she goes down the alley, and this guy turns, and that, by that time I'm at my car, and he says, do you work here? And he's like, yeah, I do, <laughs> and he starts coming at me like that across the parking lot from behind his car, and he put into my hand these bills. And he said, you were here, you saved my life. You were here when I had nothing. I want to, and he gave us, this is all this I is all have. He had. It's not much, but I want to give something back. That's what he gave back. Also, I've not turned that in as a donation. I just can't, <laughs> I can't bear to undo that either. I, I gave four clean, clean $1 bills and we've saved. These are just, these are people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, and that man, the woman that he let out of his car is a woman that he'd met in the warming center the season before, and he saw her on the street and stopped and picked her up and brought her here because somebody had helped him. But you, you never you never know what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you never you know, know. And Deborah's the one that eventually was in that house and got furniture from us, and then eventually we got her Section 8 housing, yep. and she had to go to Clio. And every now and then, I'd come over here, and here she'd be in the hallway coming to get more stuff. And I'm like, what, how you doing? You know, and she'd have a hug and this and that. And she goes, I just, I have to come back. I just, this is my family. I'm so far out there. I just don't have any friends and family. This is my family. And she'd go down to visit everybody in the warming center and all of us. And she had a plan. She was going to. She had a plan. And she, sometimes she'd have issues and come into things. She was spent one afternoon, like Mary said, in my office. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what that whole thing was over. I don't either. But she had <laughs> lots of cats, and her coat smelled like they all oh. slept on her coat. She'd been and, staying with her cats. And I'll, that urine smell from cats. Mm-hmm. She left my office, and people would come down to my office and go, What's <laughs> What did you do? <laughs> it's always fun when the homeless people know where my office yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, the, the people on our faces of hope, those are real people and real things and real, so many people. 
just so many people. I've got a gentleman now, Mr. Dupree, very tall, skinny guy, has one eye. He's lost his eye, and he goes periodically to the to the doctor to have his eye checked on and what have you, and his house had burned. He's a terrible, lovely, kind, nice nice man, but his house had burned and he had no place to go. And he checks in with me almost every other day. Is that day. the one that was there the other day? Yeah. That was asking for you? Mm-hmm. Mr. Fuqua. So they're just <laughs> lovely, lovely, nice guys. He came by today. I'd seen him downstairs. He's poked his head out of the men's room. Wanted to know how late I was going to be here today. And he came up and he's all spiffed up in his spring jacket and his straw hat. And he's all, this will be the last day we'll see him. He won't be at the warming center tonight. His house is all set. He put the, fine, the finishing touches on the mildew repellent or whatever it was he needed in his basement after all this, and he was finally able to get back into what had been his mother's house. And that's where he's going. Tonight will be his first night there, and he wanted to give me a hug goodbye. Aw. Aw. They get to be your friends. Did, um, be, is Anthony still calling? Yeah. Still getting furniture? Still to odds and ends yeah. and whatever. Well, at needs. least he's not calling my desk. I gave him to mm -hmm. Eric now. Or does he call you? <laughs> so, depends. Oh, well, yeah. right now their phone isn't working, so mm, the calls are coming calling, in here. Okay. So. Uh, someone who was out of prison went through a program here and <laughs> got to, first. Then just I only introduced myself. He, he was kept, your buddy. Yeah, Boy, he, was he was my buddy. He was, to you. He was, yeah, he'd call my desk. Vicky, do you think you could find me a table and chairs for my kitchen? I got an apartment. <laughs> but yeah, then he'd always call have you to, Queen B or Queen Queen Vicky or Boss Lady. I get that one a lot, but um. He was interesting because he'd always have to make sure, because his tether would only let him go, so if he had to come to get something, he had to check with his parole agent, and he only could come so far. Could you confirm that and let his parole agent know? And so <laughs> with all those on tethers and those things, you have to deal with all that, too. That's a, so. And then they've got to get right back. Yeah, yeah. Well, how's Deborah doing now? I, I saw, saw her. I saw her last I week. Say I saw her a week ago. She's doing great. She don't. St she's not Cly anymore. She it was too far away from her. Yeah. Everything else. She's right downtown in Flint now, and she loves that a Never lot. Every now better. and then I'll see her in the street, and she waves. Oh yeah, you spot <laughs> Mary's always waving at somebody. I don't know. I'm not in this building, so I don't know as many as she does. But the ones that do know you, it, you can be sitting at a traffic light, and they're on the corner, and they're waving at you, getting on the bus or something. Yeah, so. First year, I was dropping something off at the Flint Journal downtown, and I came around the corner, and somebody who. Pam was running sandwiches into reporters before our sandwich sale. So I was going to go around the block, and I'm heading down the street, and there are a group of people on the sidewalk, and I'm not paying a lot of attention and driving along. And all of a sudden, they all turn and start waving at me, and I'm like, they're all my friends from the warning center. And I thought if my dad could only see what they, what my education is brought up. <laughs> the homeless of Flint are waving at me everywhere, but... <laughs> It's a sign you're doing something right. Yeah. I'm hoping. It is. Hoping. It is. We're hoping. We're hoping that's our keys to the pearly gates. <laughs> I mean, and they're not all, most of the people that, that come here, there's something that's missing or wrong or something that they're lacking in medication or they've had such horrible things happen to them you can't even, we don't have any clue families and friends and people that in our and their priorities are out of whack you know so you can't be judgmental just like I said my mm -hmm. my own example you know and then we have like some student nurses that help us out here from uh, Saginaw Valley University and you just don't know I mean something's out of whack and like Mary says many of them have mental health problems many of them have substance abuse problems they're prior I can tell you that the majority of them probably 80 per 80 percent of them their priority is their cell phone Gotta and they have it, gotta plug gotta it in. Gotta have where's it. The, got, I mean, it's nothing to walk outside our buildings or any place, and they're plugged into the outside of our building, so we charge all <laughs> Well, we looked into what it's going to cost to put in a charging tank, so we could, when I we mean, have it, a warming center, we've got... It, it's, <laughs> a, it's a priority. 
It is a priority. I mean, to those, and we know some are probably drug dealers and some are probably prostitutes mm -hmm. and some are a combination of everything. But, you know, if it means they got to pick up cans in order to pay for their cell phone or they however do. they get it. And we don't ask. You, there's no qualifiers to get in here uh -huh. or to get things here. The only thing that can happen if you can't behave yourself here you'll be get, respectful you'll here, then I'll have to go. But um, other than that, if you come here and you say you're in need, we're going to help. If we can, we're going to help you. So that's really the only thing that we ask for. If you've got a need, we'll help you, but please, please, please try and behave yourself because mm -hmm. yeah. we've got to look out and make sure everybody's safe. So. Right. And, and that's the one thing. I mean, mm -hmm. even when we opened this warming center, not knowing, and any time we checked around with other warming centers in the state, they were operated, like, by churches and church people to watch them. They never had the population like we have. Mm -mm. You know, here they get released from, you know, they might check in at the emergency room and flipped out, be bipolar or something. And they send them down and the street then, to us. And then as soon as they're released, they're here. So like Mary says, as long as they behave, and even if they're intoxicated, even if they're higher in a kite, if they can sleep it off and just not bother anyone, don't create fights, don't create whatever, you're okay with us. Because you know, when we started that, the board said, well, do you gather weapons? I said, well, what would you like us to do? Stand at the door with a basket? Please deposit guns and knives, you know, and pick them up in the morning. And you people know? will turn them in. You had quite yeah. a collection going mm -hmm. for a while, and I've had people... I found this knife wherever, and I for a yeah. while I had a batch of them. I gave them to Greg. Or they, or they hide them. them before they get right. here, you know, kinds of things, because they know that what, we have signs up that says no weapons, no weapons but it's not but like we check their pockets or pat them down mm -hmm. or anything else. No, but, but they use the Blessed Mary uh, yeah, statue. There'd always be a backpack stash behind her somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, leave it there. As long as it goes so, on, everybody's fine. We have all kinds yeah. of stories to tell. And the, the other thing is, you know, for us, I mean, I, I assume you're here to do a water story <laughs> to every other story. No, 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 no. I'm not going to stop. I'm yeah, but the, the one thing for us is one thing we say is that we serve from birth to death and everything in between and, and probably every kind of situation. Because you have too <laughs> many agencies, too many services that they're probably too rigid. So when you find that we, when we find there's a need or there's a gap, mm -hmm. somebody yeah. will probably tell you. And that's why, go to, call Catholic Charities or go to Catholic Charities. And we develop there a lot of- shelters in town that will take your shoelaces, take your belt, take your phone, take whatever mm -hmm. it is before they'll let you come in for the night. Well, for, where are these people gonna go? Oh. And a lot of the, the, the police department will release people at three or four in the morning and they're out wandering. Or well, the hospital will send them down the street without... I don't even know last Tuesday why that guy in the warming center had no shoes. Came with socks on. Yeah. And he know. couldn't talk. So yeah. he held... You know, we tried mm -hmm. to say, size of your foot. And he held up. So he must have... So we went and got him a men's pair of 10. But you never... Put him on. You never he smiled know at us, but... Gonna, <laughs> you don't know who's going to be here. Hmm. So, and we're doing some, like, downstairs during this part, we were doing some, like, um, debriefing from the whole water situation, de-stressing and that kind of stuff. So we were having, you know, like, they want their the blood right pressure check. And the thing where it's all energy and relaxing people. But it was amazing. Look at You got what's your little, little feisty. Her name is Ty. She's an itty-bitty tiny woman. Feisty. So big. Feisty. She's, like, one big cranky, just packed <laughs> into that teeny tiny woman. She's just angry all the time. All mad, the time. Just mad. So we got her funneled into that room. She sat quietly, and the I woman that was doing the energy thing, I thought for sure she'd just turn around. But <laughs> and she, she's one of those people, you can just feel it. Coming you just off can't her. even stand next to her, you can feel it. She's just 
something's going to burst. Yeah. And I was surprised that she... She participated. She liked it. Didn't she yes, thank you? She came back and thanked times. Mary. Hmm. I happened to be in the room at the, the time she was in there, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, we're going to fight in here. Uh, no. <laughs> if somebody's I mean, sucking up her energy, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, maybe you should stop with me and all four of you go to her. <laughs> it might take everybody over there. Oh, man, and it's... You can... And you can see the people when you meet them and talk to them, the ones that have really been in problematic situations, and they, they can't deal reasonably. It, it's just not within their ability at this point in their lives to, to function. Mm -hmm. Another thing that might help, you know, when we were putting all this together to start a campaign, if you go to this website, there's mm -hmm. a still, and it, it's a little outdated because we did this already three years ago yeah, or four years, years ago. ago. So in that sense, but you wouldn't necessarily know that. Um, what's amazing, when Mary referenced that, we called this the Center for Hope because we were trying to figure out what is a word that describes sort of everything we're doing. And there's times in the beginning of this campaign we were very frustrated because the food bank in town had kicked off a capital campaign. In less than a year, they raised all their money. But sort of what they do is in their name, food bank. And so you don't have to question it. None of your friends have to. Everybody oh, understands they need food. Hungry. It goes to a food bank. Well, on our end, we don't get as excited because we have to buy that food from the food bank where most people think it's donated to nonprofits. We probably have one of the largest bills on a monthly <laughs> basis at the food bank. But anyway, that's the other side of the story. So they raised their money and it describes it. So we kept, we were tossing around how, yeah, everybody kept saying, you got to have that elevator speech, which I'm sure you've heard that all your life, elevator speech. How we need a big elevator. <laughs> we, need a, we need a cargo <laughs> elevator, you know. That's the thing. Because um, it takes a while to talk about all the things we do and how we do them and how mm -hmm. we try to fill the gaps and the holes. But what's amazing is that when they did this, it just came in and it was sort of like, that was a really good day. The video guy comes in and Mary says, do you have any friends down at the downstairs at the warming center the year we were doing this? And I said, nah, I only know, the only one I really got to know was Russell. And, and I said, I don't know if Russell's down there. And it was a guy that always had like seizures, quite a few in a day. But this other young man would look after this older gentleman, but Steve was um, a flat top yeah, haircut, like crew you know, kind crew of cut kind of guy. Very to himself, leave him alone. He always another one. And he looked, looked like, like he looked like he might pop it any minute, you know. And he'd only walk by and go hi, hi, <laughs> and that would be it. That's all he'd ever say to me. Well, the day when the video guys asked me, he said, "I said I don't know. Let me go down and see if Steve or if Russell's down there." And I saw Steve, so I walked up to Steve and I said, "Steve, have you seen Sorry. Russell down here today?" "No, I don't think he's here today. I haven't seen him." I said, "Maybe you could help me out." And he says, "Well, I don't think so." What do you need? And I says, well, I got a video crew here. And I said, I really, I'm Russell's who I really was looking for, someone that already knows me to talk to me about what it's going to mean to do this renovations and so on. So he's getting in line for lunch. So I'm right behind him getting a tray and I'm in line. I sat down with him and you'll see in the video, I'm sitting there pretty soon. Another one of, um, Stefan joined us, this guy, pretty soon oh, Corvette. Corvette sat down and joined us. By the time I was done eating lunch with them and talking to them about what we're doing and how we're making this better for them, that the shower facilities and blah, 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 all three guys wanted to be interviewed. We had no clue. It was, I don't even know if Steve could talk besides hi. If you see him in this video, you wouldn't even know it's the same guy I'm describing. Mary and I watched the video because oh, we weren't standing there, and you just cry. every single one used the word hope, 
and they give us hope, and it feels like family, and they don't judge you. It, yeah. it was fantastic how it came together. We couldn't have, you couldn't have imagined. You couldn't even it. held up a script to even do any better than what these guys did. And these were guys that didn't even know me until I sat down, yeah. ate with them, and told them what we were doing yeah. and how we wanted to make it better for them. So that was really a cool experience, it a was. very cool experience. To think that that many people get the message without, right? Mm -hmm. you know, because we're not running around saying, oh, here, we're here to give you hope, we're here to, yeah. this is just how we deal with their lives. So then so it was really cool, because then we knew when we named the Center for Hope that we were right worked. on target, you know, <laughs> we were like, really oh, nice. this is cool. But back to the other, one thing with us is that, we do everything from, you know, when there's a safe delivery. That's someone who's given, given up their child and they don't throw it in the river anymore because they have a law now that you leave them at fire stations, police departments. So we get safe delivery babies here. We get the call from the hospital. Mom just delivered. The baby's an hour old. Get down here because we're going to start the adoption process and so on. So we go down to Hurley Hospital or one of the hospitals. And um, last year I think we did four of them, yeah, four of them I think. And uh, so that's when I say we do something right from birth all the way to the other end of that because people are dealing with so much um, isolation, depression, grief, and loss kind of issues all the way. And so many of the seniors over-medicate, and they're still trying to take care of their kids, and they're taking care of their grandkids. We have a grandparent program. It's called Kinship Caregivers, and we have a great-grandma who's now 84. 84. 84. She's taking care of her great-grandchildren. Hmm. I don't even know how she keeps up with Toddlers, teenagers, and, teenagers toddlers. and toddlers, and I'm like, oh my goodness. So when you look at the whole thing, the nice, the nice thing about Catholic charities, and regardless that now we're into the water thing and we're into this, and we've touched on a lot of things, they can be coming here for the kinship care program. They can be coming here out of prison because they're getting substance abuse counseling here. They can be coming because they got family conflict here. They can be coming because they're a foster parent. Is that by having all of the services that I talk about, is that it sort of enhances everything we do. So no matter if we got the work ready room, no matter if we got a foster parent who gets kids during the middle of the night, our foster care workers can get a crib and bedding and the diapers and the formula. So it's not like you know, because many of these foster kids get pulled out and they come with their pajamas and their blankie and that's about it. So how in the middle of the night or what happens if you're taking them to a family who's never taken little ones before that needs two cribs or they need a stroller or they need... It's, it's very um, rewarding, I guess I would say, is to know that we fill a lot of those gaps and we can help. So when they're doing therapy... You know, and if they got a client who just lost their job and they're distressed by that, and his wife just filed for a divorce, and she's dealing with this guy, and he's to the point where, you know, he's just in need of something. No matter if it's like, I, I got to figure out how I can get housing on my own. You I lost my job. I don't have the money. The you know, she, we were renting that or this or that. They will come and they'll hook him up over here, or help him with some other bills that need to be paid, or if he needs transportation. I mean, it's like you. The therapist just walks across the parking lot. And the object of this whole Center for Hope is going to be that same kind of model, but it's going to be in this one building. So we hope to have um, employment training on third floor. Hamilton Clinics will even have the medical piece on second floor, and we'll have other offices we're running out. We'll still run all of our operations on the first floor. The downstairs, like I said, we're putting in the showers. We're putting in laundry facilities because now it's only two washers, two dryers. We're putting in a big bank of units. And then our gym will be physical activity, and there will be a big recreation room, too, where people can sit during the day, watch TV, play games, that kind of thing. But one thing that we do know is if you keep people physically active, their chance of recovery is that much stronger. So 
They're already, we're already planning in all of our drawings and blueprints and working with architects, we're putting in a sound system. And so if you're, if like you're waiting for an appointment because you're going to be next to deal with a woman who's Section 8 on housing, or you get an appointment at the clinic, but you don't want to go somewhere for an hour because you only got one bus ticket to get back home, okay, so now you've got an hour, you've got to wait. Well, the speaker might come on and it might say, um, if you're available at 10 a.m., and it might be 10 too, um, we're going to do gentle yoga in the gym. Please join us. And so we will encourage people to come for that physical activity and be able to, because the gym's 9,000 square feet here, so it's big. We can do a couple things at the same time. We do not want to be the ones doing the physical activity because we also know in town, because we like to collaborate <coughs> with people, is there's people that their focus is on working on obesity. You know, and so if it's Easter Seals, if it's the Crim Foundation, if it's whatever, we'll work with all those people who've got funding, and we'll just do the logistics. Come and use our gym. We want you two times a day to do basketball, two times a day to do volleyball. We want you to do this, this, and we'll line all that up. And so we want the physical activity. So the, the whole building will be this one big concept of meeting all their needs. That's amazing. Providing, what did I write down? Providing... Everything a person needs to build hope from birth to death. Oh, how cool. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's a nice, yep. that's a nice yep. little succinct. Yep. Thank you for doing everything you guys are doing. Oh. It's a, no. The energy that you guys have is, is tacit. We love it. You can see it. Yeah. Just, it like everything. plugs us in and keeps yeah. us going. Yeah. I feel like I just had a shot of espresso, honestly. <laughs> so. <laughs> and we're not young. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing this for 60 years. So, wow. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Seriously. You're welcome. That's You're welcome. amazing. No, I love it. I love giving people chances in life. I think that... Sometimes people just have hard, I mean, just like with parolees. I used to work in the Jackson prison and down in Jackson, Michigan. So when I came back to Flint to work nine years ago, um, it's like, who's working with this population? Nobody wanted to touch them. And I'm like, no, it's a good population. There's a few bad apples, but these are young people at one time that made some really bad decisions. But does that mean we just throw them all away? They're going to come back and live next. You know, my mother used to worry about me. And I said, Mom, they're going to, they're going to be in the, you should be more scared to go to the mall mm -hmm. or the post office, you know, everything we see. We're probably safer here, like Mary says. We don't worry about our safety because we're treating them how we want them to treat us. We're treating them. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you look at the large population, Wayne County by Detroit and here in Flint is the highest returning um, parolees that we have in the state of Michigan. And we know prisons are always talking about being overcrowded. They're going to continue to re release people sooner and sooner to cut down on how much it costs to keep a person in prison. So we're going to see more back in our communities all over. So that's a, you know, that's, we believe that give them a second chance, you know. And we have, the work we do with them, I would say that we find that they are very, very thankful. I mean, the Anthony I was talking about, those are all guys that have done 20 years, 25. Yep. Well, some some amazing work that you are doing yeah. here. This is thank you for taking the time to talk oh, to no, me too. No. It was so last minute, and I, I take know. I took over an hour of your time. I feel that, like at that's this, point, our, this but, was a, you hit a good day when Mary called uh, me and she said this guy's coming. I said good day, good day. It was a paperwork was, day. Yeah. My desk is like this, but it gives me a nice break. So yeah, no. I appreciate that. And you came from Chicago? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, from Chicago. I uh, I'm driving to uh, Montreal. Hey, me again. Since 2016, Catholic Charities has built and opened their Center for Hope, complete with a water station. Mary helped me again, and Vicki will be coming back on for us to hear about what life is like today in Flint. 
I put the link for the Catholic Charities of Genesee County in the show notes, and I encourage you to donate if you can. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And if you're listening to this later than the moment it was released, I'm wishing you well on your next adventure.